Amen. Thank you, Samantha. That's beautiful. A note I want to share with you before we have our scripture reading. Vicki Francis sent a note to the church family. Thanks to everyone at Kingsway for thinking of me at Christmas. I know I'll enjoy the fruit basket. It's deeply appreciated. Um, I appreciate the different ministries. That's a part of Kingsway, and that's one of those ministries where fruit baskets were given out to those who were shut in. God says we need to think about those who may feel forgotten. So uh, just another thought. May he remind us of those who feel forgotten that we may remind them they're not. We are in Romans, going through the book of Romans. We are to Romans 8 now, one of my favorite chapters in the scripture. Actually, we're going to look at the last couple of verses in Romans 7 and then jump to the first four in Romans 8. Titled this message, From Struggle to Savior. It's really about the fact of where, where we need to look. So anyway, turn with me to Romans chapter 7. So we start at verse 24. And I'm going to ask when you find that, stand in God's honor. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God who through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. Let's pray. Master, how awesome it is to read these words, Father. When you get down to the bottom of despair. When you think. I'm. I'm hopeless. I'm a wretch. And then father out comes the praise. Because the end of the story is not what I am. But who you are Lord. And as we take time to look at your word this morning God. Thank you that we look at the personal testimony of a man who. Well, it's easy to romanticize. I mean, this guy's the big spiritual hero. He's the guy who's willing to give up everything for God. He's seen all these miracles. He's seen all these people saved and all these people growing. And man, he's got it together and he doesn't have hard times. And then all of a sudden he says, wretched man that I am. (laughs) So no one, Father, is beyond that. I thank you, though, that that's not the end. And so anyway, as we look at your word this morning, pray that we'll hear about Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. A well-known preacher went into a nursing care facility. He was talking to the different ones who live there, the different residents. And comes up to this one lady and He shakes her hand, he talks to her, and he says, she looks a little bewildered, and she says, he says, ma'am, 
Do you recognize me? Do you know who I am? And her response was, no, Sonny, but if you go to the front desk, they can tell you. (laughs) Part of the problem that happens to us is that we have this inward look where we're we're, we're trying to figure things out and, and we're focused on the circumstances and we're focused on where we have messed up and, and where we have failed. And, and the focus is there. And, 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 and this is Paul. He, he looks at his struggle and that leads him to say in verse 24, what a wretched man that I am. <laughs> this one, this spiritual hero that, that we think, well, surely he didn't go through those kind of struggles surely he didn't feel like i feel sometimes where god how could you love me god i'm such a screw up and yet that's paul that's paul sharing his heart made me think of a a charles spurgeon dearly loved preacher who in a day before you had all these you know big churches he lived in a different era and yet he had all these people came and they heard him preaching and god worked through the guy mightily but he suffered with depression. There were many days he just couldn't get out of bed. There were days where he laid there and he would pray and say, God, set me free from this. God, I don't understand why I'm struggling like this. God, how could you use me? And yet God did. Yet God worked in spite of it. Um, as we come here in, in uh, 7.15, Paul says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate to do. So he says, this is something that just seems beyond my control. What in the world is going on? Verse 18, he confesses that, that he's the screw up, that he's imperfect. And he says, I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. Verse 23, he admits that there is a war waging in his mind that keeps him a prisoner of law that's at work within his members. So what was going on in, in Paul? What, what was he feeling? Well, first he was tired. Sometimes in the midst of a battle, you just get tired. You get weary. Someone has said that fatigue makes cowards of us all. So, one of the best things you can do, one of the most spiritual things you can do at times is take a nap. But I just have one request. Wait till after the service. Okay, number two. Not only was he tired... And that word means to bear a callus. And so, you know, it really goes what Samantha had to sing. You know, Lord, I just feel callous, Lord. <laughs> Turn me your direction. Second, he was feeling hopeless. It was like, God, I, how can you deal with me? Why do you forgive me, Lord? Why do you love me? And third, he feels trapped. It's like, it's always going to be like this, Lord. I'm always going to let you down. I'm always going to break your heart, God. And at least a fourth, he feels condemned. One of the devil's greatest tools is condemnation and shame. You don't deserve this. Praise be to God, it's never been about do I deserve it. It's about do I need it and has he given it. And he has. He has. He's supplied it. And so Paul moves away. Man, I'm so grateful for this. Uh, He starts here in verse 24. He gets down to the bottom, the depths of despair. What a wretched man I am. He has this inward look. And then he he moves to an upward look. Verse 25, it's so awesome. Thanks be to God. He looks up. Thanks be to 
God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And, and, and then he admits this struggle, but he says, it's more than that, God. You have set me free. And, and, and he moves into this, and that's what we're going to look at. And uh, I want to read to you, that this is from uh, Spurgeon, who I mentioned earlier. This is his testimony, what he had to say about the struggle. Spurgeon remembered how he fought against the idea of giving in to Christ's lordship. He, I must confess, I would never have been saved if I could have helped it. As long as ever I could, I rebelled and revolted and struggled against God. When he would have to pray, I would not pray. And, and when I heard and the tear rolled down my cheek, I wiped it away and defied him to melt my soul. But long before I began with Christ, he began with me. That's our God. And then he moves into this most amazing truth. Look in chapter 8. It is awesome. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The word that is, has the most emphasis placed upon it is the smallest word. It is the word no. In the Greek, it is at the very first part of the sentence. Which indicates, which emphasizes, which says, no, in no way. There's none of it. No what? No condemnation. And then the next smallest word also is of value, guys. It's now. It's not something you will enjoy when you're in heaven. It's not something that's around the corner. It's not something you pray for. It's not something you hope for that will occur. He said it's now. Think about that. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God does not condemn you. God is not out to destroy you. He is not out to hurt you. He is not out to belittle you. He is not out in any way to be your enemy. But thanks be to God, He has reached out to us and said, I love you. I don't condemn you. And that is a message that needs to be heard. And notice how that occurred as we read through the Scripture. It is through Jesus Christ. The law, the Spirit of life, that Holy Spirit that comes and enters our life. That changes us. And notice the result. Verse 2. Set me free from the law of sin and death. It was not my performance. It was the cross. It was the work of Jesus Christ that has made me free. I don't have to worry about my past. I don't have to worry about what a wretch I am, what a screw up I am, what a mess up I am. God doesn't see me that way. That's what he says here. No, without a doubt, nothing, no condemnation there. That is how God looks. And it is because of Christ Jesus and the law of the spirit of life that set us free from the law of sin and death. That's what he says. For what the law was powerless to do. And that it was weakened by the sinful nature. You try to be good, but there's this weakness, that sinful nature that battles, that fights, that keeps us from God. It's there. He recognizes it. He speaks about it. But praise be to God. He says, God took care of it by sending his own son. Fully man, fully God. That's what it means in the likeness of sinful man. To do what? To be a sin offering. And through that, he condemns sin and sinful man. Why? That this righteous requirements of the law, this performance that is needed, might be fully met in us. 
Not according to our performance. Not according to that sinful nature that we fight against. But according to the Spirit of God. And according to His perfect work that takes place in us. You see, He has promised, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. The Bible says you can quench the Spirit of God. The Bible says you can grieve the Spirit of God. You can break His heart. But He doesn't abandon you. He promises to be with you. He promises to stay there. And that is our God. He does what we cannot do for ourselves. That is His power at work within us. It is not us. It is Him. It is Christ Jesus. It is what He gives to us. And here's the second part of that. The way He looks upon us is without condemnation. So not only does He want us to know that He doesn't condemn us, but He wants others to know through us that they are not condemned. Do you know what we have a tendency to do, and I've said this before, is we all tend to be control freaks. And at some point we realize we control very little, if anything. That is so hard to learn. God says we need to see others as He sees us. This is not about being right or wrong. There is sin and there's repentance and, and all that is necessary. But God loves people. And, and that must not be forgotten. And so as we communicate to them, the reason that this is a sin and the reason this is bad is because this hurts you. This keeps you away from the God who loves you. And He cares about this. So don't do this because the consequences of that is pain. Not only for you, but for God who loves you. He doesn't want to see you hurt. He doesn't want to see you crushed. He doesn't want to see you self-destruct. No, He he cares about you. So, but that, so the angle that, that when we see people, it's not, man, you're so dirty and you're so rotten. No, God loves you. He doesn't condemn you. But if you do this, you're going to bring pain to yourself. And yet the truth of the matter is, how often do we want to fix the world? Listen to this. Uh, This was written by uh, Margaret Rink. (laughs) And she talks about trusting God to let go. She writes, uh, To let go does not mean to stop caring. It means I can't do it for someone else. To let go is not to cut myself off. It's the realization I can't control another. To let go is not to enable, but to allow learning from natural consequences. To let go is to admit powerlessness, which means the outcome is not in my hands. To let go is not to try to change or blame another. It's to make the most of myself. To let go is not to care for, but to care about. To let go is not to fix, but to be supportive. To let go is not to judge, but to allow another to be a human being. To let go is not to be in the middle, arranging all the outcomes, but to allow others to affect their own destinies. To let go is not to be protective, it's to permit another to face reality. To let go is not to deny, but to accept. To let go is not to nag, scold, or argue, but instead to search out my own shortcomings and correct them. To let go is not to adjust everything to my desires, but to take each day as it comes and cherish myself in it. To let go is not to regret the past, but to grow and live for the future. To let go is to fear less and love more. God wants us to work hard, but not into a heart attack. 
He wants us to learn to trust him and that he loves us. And out of that, that we may learn to love others. That's God's heart that he wants fulfilled, guys, in each of us. A life without struggles impossible to live. I don't know how many times I keep coming to mind with uh, Proverbs seventeen seventeen. It says, a friend loves at all times and a brother's born for adversity. <laughs> Our calls to love and, you know, I thought some time ago, this sounds so negative. But, you know, we're either coming out of a storm, going into a storm, or about to go into a storm. But praise be to God, we've got the one who calms the boat, calms the storm. Um that makes such a difference. A struggle without surrender is miserable to endure. God is the one that we turn to. Um, we can fight, we can kick, we can scream, but we need the Father to hold us. That's what it, it amounts to. Uh, when we were in Long Island um, in Victory Chapel, a mission there, it was a lot of rescue mission type work, homeless people people that suffered with addictions, people that were the outcasts. You know, I think sometimes those are the people Jesus seemed to show some special attention to. Um, We'd get together on Saturday nights. They called it Coffee House. But uh, the guy that led it with a guitar buddy, we would sing different songs together. And you had quite a ragtag band of people put together singing, you know. And there was one song we sang every time. And uh, the words say, You said you'd come and share all my sorrows. You said you'd be there for all my tomorrows. I came so close to sending you away. But just like you promised, you came there to stay. I just had to pray. And Jesus said, Come to the water. Stand by my side. I know you're thirsty. You won't be denied. I felt every teardrop when in darkness you cried. And I strove to remind you that for those tears I died. Your goodness so great I can't understand. And dear Lord, I know that all this was planned. I know you're here now and always will be. Your love loose my chains And in you I'm free. But Jesus, why me? The greatest mystery of all. Why me, Lord? Come to the water. Stand by my side. I know you're thirsty. You won't be tonight. I felt every teardrop when in darkness you cried. And I strove to remind you for those tears I died. And then the final verse, he says, Jesus, I give you my heart, my soul. I know that without God... I'd never be whole. Savior, you opened all the right doors. And I thank you and praise you from our humble shores. Take me. I'm yours. He is calling us to come to the waters. He's there. He's watching. He's waiting. You know, just I think of the we talk about the the lost son, the prodigal son, but the waiting father. He's waiting. His arms are open, and he's saying, here I am. And you know what I love about that story is that the father, when he caught sight of the son, he went running toward him. And that's how our God is. 
in many ways, the story, we get so focused on the son, but in many ways, it's about the father. Oh, it's about the father. And if you've missed the father, guys, you've missed it. Um, my prayer is that we will be a church that sees the father. This inward looking would become upward looking. Because when we move from inward to upward, guess what happens? We move outward. Because that love is just too wonderful to contain, to keep to ourselves. And so he does work uh, within us that moves through us. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't always see things my way. Sometimes I pray and I have it all figured out and I give God my directions. And I tell him exactly what I want to see happen. And I lay out my formula and I lay out my plan, but it's never been about a formula. It's never been about a plan. It's about a person. It's about God. And he is not my servant. I'm his. And that's part of what this is about. It's about seeing he doesn't condemn us, that he set us free. But he's not set us free just to sit around and say, well, I'm not condemned. He set us free so that we can be his messengers and we can share his love. And even though we don't understand him, man, we can trust him. I want to close. I, I get a uh, daily devotional from C.S. Lewis's readings. And I really enjoyed it. What I really love is they only give you a small paragraph. Because, <laughs> man, he sometimes is deep. I'd read it three or four times. But this is from one of his books in the Narnia series. If you've read any of the Narnia series of these children that actually go to an alternate world. And there's so much in there that really is talking about Jesus and talking about us. And there's this lion, Aslan. And, of course, he represents Jesus. But uh, I want to read. This is a part from a devotion a couple of days ago. Are you not thirsty, said the lion? I'm dying of thirst, said Jill. Then drink, said the lion. May I, could I, would you mind going away while I do? Said Jill, the lion answered, this only by a look and a very low growl. And as Jill gazed at its motionless bulk, she realized that she might as well have asked the whole mountain to move aside for her convenience. The delicious rippling noise of the stream was driving her nearly frantic. Will you promise not to do anything to me if I do not come? Said Jill. I make no promise, said the lion. Jill was so thirsty now that without noticing it, she had come a step closer. Do you eat girls, she said. I've swallowed up girls and boys, women and men, kings and emperors, cities and realms, said the lion. It didn't say this as if it were boasting, nor as if it were sorry, nor as if it were angry. It just said it. I dare not come and drink, said Jill. Then you will die of thirst, said the lion. Oh, dear, said Jill, coming another step closer. I suppose I must go and look for another stream then. There is no other stream, said the lion. It never occurred to Jill to disbelieve the lion. No one who had ever seen his stern face could do that. And her mind suddenly made itself up. It was the worst thing she had ever had to do. But she went forward to the stream, knelt down, and began scooping up water in her hand. It was the coldest, most refreshing water she had ever tasted. You didn't need to drink much of it, for it quenched your thirst 
at once. Let's pray. Father, we are thirsty. And the living water waits. Maybe it is for the drink that brings salvation. To a soul that is literally parched and dying of thirst. You say rivers of living water await. To say Jesus here I am I am broken. I'm tired of trying to be good. And he says. I will take care of it. Trust me. So father for that one. Maybe it's time to just say Jesus I come broken. Forgive me of my sin. Enter my life. Make me whole and new. Forgive me. Maybe there's others that are parched. They have tasted the water, but they have grown thirsty. The circumstances and the battle have just made them weary. And, and Father, they've just lost sight. They've become inward instead of looking upward. And Father, may they come to the water. May they take a drink. Because it quenches where no, no one else can quench like that. So I pray for that, and we have an altar, Father, to come to and to pray. And Father, we have a chance to come either down the aisle where I'm willing to pray and comfort, Lord, or allow you to comfort, to be there, or to go across the aisle if maybe that's part of your plan. But either way, Lord, it's still about you. And Father, is it safe? No, sometimes it's frightening. But is it right? Oh, yes. So may we come to you, Lord, knowing that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but there's freedom. But that may mean cutting something loose. So I pray that this is the time that we address that and just listen to your voice and say yes to your call. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.